0: So, wait, so YouTube demonetized us for the, the Ben Shapiro thing?
1: <laughs> yes, it, exactly. They they We we put in a dispute. We followed the rules. And it was, uh, I don't think it was YouTube, but I think it was Ben Shapiro and Tom McDonald themselves who rejected us.
2: But do you know what? It's funny because the internet right now, YouTube is filled with like Ben Shapiro reaction videos. And then Ben Shapiro even did a video reacting to his reaction videos. So you would think that he would want people to promote his song and his music, But then when we did it, we get demonetized. So
0: unless it was just over the dancing, the dance moves might have just been YouTube was just offended by that.
2: (laughs) That's totally possible. It's like like the
0: my pillow guy all over again when I had him on my show and we like couldn't post on YouTube for a week. Well, it's not that bad at least.
2: (laughs) Yeah. But that was, didn't that happen like eight months later? It's like Andrew interviews this guy and it was totally normal and totally fine. And then like six months later, he does something controversial and they like go back and demonetize our whole channel. Yeah. All right, guys, let's get this started. So, All right, so hey, guys, thanks uh, for being here. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This is Off the Record, our second episode. The first one was last week. I think it went pretty well, so we're going to keep this format going and talk about the week's news from a little bit more of a casual, relaxed perspective. And I, I know we talked about this a lot last week, but I just wanted to talk about it, mention it quickly here, more fallout from Danielle Smith's policy protecting kids from trans surgeries, basically, from from being uh, pushed into getting sex change operations while they're still children. And it's just really been remarkable to see this whole thing unfold. I, I was pleased that Pierre Polyev came out in the middle of the week and finally let let us know what the conservative position was on it because they have been relatively quiet up to this point. I think he he did take the right position and, and felt fall in the right place. But I just, like, I, I still can't believe the way that the media has handled this issue and the way that some left-wing politicians, Justin Trudeau, drugmeet Singh, have just been completely hysterical. I just don't understand why they think that talking about trans issues for children is anything that's going to be popular. Like, as as soon as, the, one of the things that Pierre Polyev did was that he he got journalists to explain exactly what policy they were talking about because they would do this thing like, why are you in favor of restricting healthcare to kids? Which is propaganda, that's a euphemism. Like, we're, we're not talking about access to healthcare. We're talking about elective surgeries for sex changes for little kids. And, and, and once you make the journalists say that, then, then you've, they've already lost the argument. Harrison, what, what's your position?
1: Well, yeah, the journalists were exposed a few days ago when one of the journalists asked Pierre Polyev if he felt that only adults should take puberty blockers after they, discussed this, after they had this discussion. And, you know, adults don't take puberty blockers because that's the whole point. It exposes the fact that the, 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 the base position of the media here is whatever the conservatives are saying has to be wrong. And whatever the left is saying has to be right. And they can't even use their own judgment to realize what they're talking about is is completely ridiculous. So I think Polyev is right. It took him a bit too long to finally admit to it, but at least he did come out and admit to it.
2: Well, one of the things that was really interesting that I learned this week was that Taking testosterone is actually illegal, and and human growth hormones are illegal in Canada. So in, in some cases, it's not even possible to take it when you're an adult. It's only they only give it to children. They don't they don't even allow adults to take it. Right. Uh, I, I think if anything, it's just exposed this entire issue. It's like more Canadians are now aware of the crazy stuff that's happening in our country to kids. Like like there was one clip that I, I found really amusing where. A journalist was kind of complaining to Danielle Smith about the uh onerousness of one of the policies, which was that every time you talk about sex ed to children in your classroom, you have to write a report. And the reporter was like, hey, like, like, are they supposed to write a report like every day? Like, that's that's like so much work. And Danielle was like, well. I'm sorry, but if they're talking about sex every single day to students, I think we've discovered a a good use case for this policy because they shouldn't be doing that, obviously.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of gaslighting on this though. Cause I remember like when when Danielle Smith first came out and was talking about the, in in Alberta, the uh, sex reassignment surgery component, you had people say that doesn't happen. She's she's banning something that doesn't exist. No one does that. And literally, news reports uh, that came out yesterday, uh, National Post, there were eight transgender surgeries for minors in 2022-2023. So you may say, okay, eight, it's a small number, but still, eight is 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 above zero. So when you have people saying this doesn't happen, it's not there, and then oh well, what do you know, it's happening. It, it undermines the entire argument.
2: The, yeah, this kind of reminds me of the whole like libs of TikTok thing. Like people who there's a there's a, a very popular account on Twitter who do, people who don't know that they, the the account the person who runs the account literally just takes clips of people on TikTok. So, so people who have you know on their own decided to post videos uh, public videos on their on their on their TikTok accounts, and she just stitches them together and shows them to a different audience on uh on twitter and you know the left is like oh this is a hate crime this is hate speech she's targeting trans people and she's putting them at risk it's like it's like no no they're just speaking in their own words she's just pl- giving them a platform right she's just letting you know what they say what they do and it's usually teachers yeah. uh they talking about how they're confusing their children and how they talk about sex in classrooms and how they're making kids uh, re- you know reconsider whether they're boys or girls they so just really the worst of the worst and and it's happening. We know it's happening because we see it in this, in, in this, through this TikTok account. And then the same kind of gaslighting that you're talking about, Andrew, that, that they'll be like, this doesn't happen. No, no one's, no one's doing this to kids. It's like, yeah, we, we see through you.
0: Yeah. It's Sorry. crazy. I, find, I, I was like waiting for a question mark. And then I thought Harrison I was going say something. I that thought, was just I thought that Harrison one of those was- Like awkward live to date moments that we'll uh, all just I... have to hope the audience <laughs> finds endearing instead of horribly unprofessional.
2: No, I thought Harrison was about to jump in with somebody. Yeah. So I was okay, good. To, it, was it was two great. on one. Harrison, where were you, man?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Left you guys hanging there. No, I mean Harrison. Just, say it's words. It's it's pathetic. It's crazy. The media were exposed for just basically taking whatever the left is is saying and believing that that is the only acceptable position to have. I think Polyev is right when he says Justin Trudeau will eventually have to back down from this because common sense and just what the majority of Canadians think isn't going to stand up to this. The majority of Canadians don't want children to take puberty blockers and to, you know, basically cut their own body parts off. It's not going to last. So eventually, the prime minister will likely have to uh, step down from this position and be asked the kind of questions that Pierre is being asked. So double standards everywhere, but it's just the usual media playbook.
2: Yeah, although I I will say that the media did their job this time because we didn't know where Pierre stood. And and I do think that it took them pushing him. And, and you can see there was one press conference that he did and Justin Ling, who's like a left wing reporter, was asking him these annoying questions and they were full of propaganda. And it was like, why, basically, like, why do you hate trans kids and why won't you give them health care? And you can see Pierre just kind of lost his patience. And then that was like the moment where he first came out. And then the next day he was in the House Commons. He was getting scrummed and the reporters were doing their job. Like, where do you stand? What's your position? What's your party position? And he he finally let them have it and it was great. So uh, good, good for Pierre for landing in the right place. Okay, I wanna talk about this other story that happened this week, which was that we learned that it was the Prime Minister's office. It was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's own office that invited that Nazi veteran to uh, reception and and to, to be at the House of Commons. So we, we all remember this very embarrassing uh, moment that happened last September where the entire House of Commons gave a standing ovation to a Nazi. And basically the interesting component of the story, I know you cover this on your show, Andrew, but but just, just to just repeat it, it's like at the time when th- when this happened, the scandal came out, the government blamed it entirely on House Speaker Anthony Rota. He ended up resigning. But there were some interesting quotes from the time. Uh, so we had liberal cabinet ministers insisting that this person, this House leader, could not stay on the job because what he had done was just so beyond the pale, so reprehensible. So we had Karina Gold saying, I can't see, based on the conversations I've had, how he can continue to have the support of Liberal members of Parliament. Then you had Melanie Lee, the Foreign Minister, saying, what happened on Friday is completely unacceptable. It was an embarrassment to the House of Commons and Canadians. So we had all of these Liberals at the time saying that, because of what Anthony Rota did, because he invited this Nazi, it was all his fault. It was 100% him. Nobody else knew what was happening. This guy's to blame and he just can't be in cabinet. He can't be in this position anymore. Well, well, oops, because now we, now we know that it wasn't, it wasn't Anthony Rota. He was just a fall guy. He was just the guy that they decided to throw in the bus. It was actually Justin Trudeau's office that sent the invitation. So wouldn't all those things now apply to the prime minister just using liberal logic here. If if what Anthony Rota did was so terrible, then now that we know it was actually Justin Trudeau, why aren't they saying the same thing about Justin Trudeau? Andrew, I'll I'll let you uh, take it. Yeah. from Yeah.
0: Well, it, I I should just clarify. It was a se- it was a separate invitation. So uh, Anthony Rota had invited him to the House of Commons. Justin Trudeau invited him to this reception in Toronto where uh he he didn't end up attending but he was going to be there and it was honoring uh, volodymyr zelensky and but but the rules still apply i mean the, the current uh framework you've just laid out there of you know guy who invites nazi to public event resigns is uh, still something that should apply and, but but we saw trudeau doing that Trudopian thing that he loves doing with this which is that canada apologizes. I be apologize on behalf of Canadians as though uh you Harrison, you Candace, uh, me, our our video guys, Jacob, Phil, like they were all the ones that did it, not just Trudeau. And now we know it was not just Anthony Roda, it was also a Justin Trudeau's office. So, you know, yeah, maybe giving the apology on behalf of a larger group of people was warranted, but the group of people was his office. And it was amazing that now all of a sudden it's, oh, whoopsie, just an honest mistake. When it was Anthony Roda, it was uh, something that had to cost him his job. When it's Justin Trudeau, it's, oh, well, you know, we just, you know, the name was given to us on a list and we just, oh, you know, and who, who among us hasn't?
2: do this with blackface dude didn't didn't he apologize on behalf of all canadians when well, he no, was, that was a
0: learning opportunity for all of us so yeah <laughs> so uh the guy next door does blackface and uh we all have to learn more about race relations in canada yeah
2: yeah it was it was a joint learning opportunity harrison what was your take on this
1: well the, the level of incompetence from the prime minister's office from inside this canadian government is reaching such dangerous levels that it's becoming like a national security issue here. These people literally can't even understand very basic historical facts. The reality that if you were fighting against the Soviets in World War II, you probably weren't on the side of the allies. This is very basic stuff. And clearly some people in the PMO had no idea. And it's not like these invitations. You're just a junior staffer writes this stuff out. It doesn't go through other people. Nobody caught this. Everyone else did once it made it once it was public once the, once the, the the standing ovation had already been given to a Nazi, but no one had caught this inside the PMO. And of course, they have to just blame the uh, the speaker. They have to find a fall guy. Good soldier Anthony Rota for just taking it and not exposing the PMO on his way out for doing this himself them, themselves. But seriously, this is this is unbelievable here that the people inside the PMO are are dangerously incompetent. It's kind of freaking me out.
2: Well, I, I think it's a, maybe it maybe says something about our, our history and, and that the, the whole liberal mantra of like let's erase everything that happened like prior to I don't know 1965 or prior to yeah. the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Like Canada's history starts with Pierre Trudeau, and let's let's like not even learn about World War II or not even learn about like Canada's contributions. It's like you know as as, as soon as I heard the, the the introduction in the House of Commons, and it was like this guy fought against the. Russians. It's like, well, that obviously, to your point, Harrison, that should ring alarm bells. The fact that the conservatives also stood up and applauded was deeply shameful, but at least they could be forgiven for getting caught up in a moment, right? You're at an event and, you know, you're not really paying attention and you're focused on something else and everyone's standing and it's like, okay, this guy's a war veteran. You stand. Uh, but it's like, you know, the people who were organizing this event, right? Like w- it was a high profile thing. They had Vladimir Zelensky. This is like going with whole the whole like Justin Trudeau, you know, fight, fighting for Ukraine is, is fighting for democracy, et cetera, et cetera. Like the, you, you know that a lot of a lot of eyeballs looked this stuff over, a lot of thought went into it. And the fact that none of them know even basic, basic history about what happened during World War II is is pretty, pretty sad. Andrew, did you have any final thoughts on this one?
0: Yeah, it was, I mean, everyone got so into the whole, uh, over the last 10, 15 years, everyone's a Nazi thing. And it's amazing how that everyone is a Nazi, except for the literal Nazi. The literal Nazi is not a Nazi, but everyone else is a Nazi. That was the, the one uh, in in imbalance in I found when this thing first came up that I, I've been reminded of the last couple of days.
2: Well, and and I I think this is not this has not been a strong week for Justin Trudeau. Uh, You you saw that in the House of Commons. I want to play this clip uh, where Justin Trudeau, he's trying to go after Pierre Polyev, but it really doesn't land. And uh, I I think I could give you some credit, Harrison, because you've been talking for a while about how Justin Trudeau is trying to run against Donald Trump and not Pierre Polyev. And this was sort of a weak attempt at that. So let's play this clip here. What we hear
0: from the Leader of the Opposition is, uh, under the previous Conservative government, everything was perfect, and what he is proposing to do is to make Canada great again. That is not what Canadians want. He is pining for a nostalgia that, quite frankly, Canadians do not feel.
2: yeah, so that just didn't really land. I, I do like the part where he was trying to—he was trying to insult the conservatives by saying that they thought everything was perfect under Harper, and then the conservative side all starts cheering like, "Yeah, everything was great under Harper. That's exactly right." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then supposed to be going well for Trudeau, and then he—he he tries to land this like, "Make Canada Canada great again." Macaga. And- can't, can't.
0: <laughs> yeah. It doesn't roll off the tongue like no, "mega" does. "Mukka doesn't, doesn't so
2: well. Yeah, and and it just it just didn't land. And and I think that most if most people just heard that sentence, you know, Pierre Polyev wants to make Canada great again. It's like yeah who doesn't like th- that's exactly right that's what he does want to do and, and the but-
0: conservatives should have all like leapt up and started doing the standing <laughs> ovation yeah
2: but it, it's like you know people don't people aren't as obsessed with donald trump and this like line one line from like 10 years ago it, it was that almost i mean nine years ago 2015 that he first came out with that make america great again it's like you could just tell that justin true so inside this like bubble of of political mudslinging that he, he he's obsessed with it and it's not working. I don't know. What do, you, what do you think, Harrison?
1: Yeah, well, clearly they can't run against Pierre Polyev. They can't run against what he says to Canadians because it works. And it's working with the Conservatives. Where's the art of subtlety gone in pol- in politics these days, guys? I mean, they can't the Liberals can't even be clever about their approach to try and make Polyev out to seem like some sort of Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump reincarnate in Canada. They, they, they put him up on a split screen with Donald Trump and every other week they've got some sort of split screen between what Polyev is saying, exactly how that's what Donald Trump says. and now they're bringing out the Make Canada great again line. The reality is Canadians are pining for the nostalgia of a pre-trudeau Canada. Clearly, things are much worse after this guy's been in power for eight years. That's not even that's not even a very controversial thing to say. The majority of Canadians seem to agree on that. Um, I don't think this this is going to land at all, but this is what they want to do. They're going to, all throughout 2024, they're going to run off run off the U.S. election, basically. They're going to try and make the conservatives out to be the Republicans, make Pierre out to be Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, I guess good luck to them. It's not going to work, though.
2: Pierre Polyev is such a different political figure than Donald Trump. They really don't have a lot of overlap. Like, sure, yeah, or- yeah, they both believe in like I don't know, smaller government, and like it's just it's so trivial. Like when it comes to their actual personalities and their their where they stand, like their age, everything about them is so different. It's it's just a weird uh, comparison. What's your take, Andrew?
0: Well, yeah, but it, it's just like politics and political media coverage are like that in general. It's the same reason that uh, Justin Trudeau for the last, you know, decade has been, you know, comparing and blaming everything and everyone on Harper. It's, you know, the Harper years, the Harper years. And at a certain point it's like you've been there for now uh, 9 years I think it's hard to blame Stephen Harper for your government's poor performance, but it's either that or, or Trump. They just cling to like the easiest comparison. And I mean, the one thing that Trump has done, which is, is really annoying, he didn't do it, but has been done around him, is that it's become the laziest, easiest comparison for anyone. It's like you're a stand-up comedian. You go on stage. You don't even have to tell a joke. You just be like, Trump, am I right? And everyone will just like, oh, yeah. And, you know, journalists can just say like, like Trump. Like I once uh, got into an argument with someone when I did my old radio show. I was defending the zipper merge. Uh, The zipper merge, which is a a piece of urban planning where, uh, you know, when a lane is closing, it's actually most efficient to – alternate, to use both lanes right up until the merge point, instead of like, you know, two kilometers out getting into the lane that's continuing. Uh, The reason I share that boring bit of trivia is because I was talking about this and why studies have shown zipper merge is fast. And someone said, you're just like Trump for saying that. And I'm like, was Trump like a known fan of the zipper? But it's just, it's the only thing people know how to, it's the only insult people know now. And yeah, I
1: but even, I, I want to say this as well, Candace. The liberals always try to rail against the conservatives for importing American style politics, right? That's their line against the conservatives before they even try. And Hillary blame. Clinton at their convention, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to make Pierre. They try to blame the conservatives for importing American politics. What could be more? Uh, uh, what could be more American politics than making your opposition out to be like the Republican frontrunner? It's ridiculous.
0: Make it, a tax it, Canadian again. That's my <laughs> slogan. Make make a tax Canadian again. We have to make bring back Canadian uh, arguments in politics.
1: MACA works much better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 really no there's some good points raised and uh, yeah, the uh, exact idea that any, any anything bad you do is oh you're Trump. But I just I just don't think it's going to work. I think that Trump was deeply unpopular especially in Canada during the beginning part of his first term. But I don't think that's there anymore. I think that people kind of see through it. They don't They don't see Trump the same way. It, he doesn't carry the same fear and hysteria that he did in 2016. So again, if this is a liberal strategy, good luck because it doesn't seem to land. Okay, I just want to quickly, quickly cover this story, which is the NDP wants to make it illegal to say good things about Canada. Seriously, seriously. So uh, Charlie Angus, an NDP, MP, longtime time member, uh, tabled a private member's bill, Bill C. Uh, 372 known as the fossil fuel advertising act it was tabled earlier this week basically it will criminalize the promotion of fossil fuels you can go to jail you can pay a fine up to 1.5 million dollars up to two years in jail for promoting canadian energy this is real this is real and you know, it's not going to pass. It's not going to go anywhere. The NDP is is sort of just like the fringe, weird character in Canadian politics. Uh, they hold the balance of power, sure, uh, but you know, this is the direction they're going. These people truly hate free speech. They don't want you to say nice things about Canada. They don't want you to be proud of your country. They don't like working class jobs. They don't want cheap energy. Like everything, th- th- this just shows us so much about the Canadian left and where the NDP wants to take this country if they were given any more power. Andrew, any thoughts on this one?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the the basis for what he's doing is he's trying to say that, and it says it in the legislation, in the preamble, that it's based on this crime, climate crisis. And that we have to, he said in his remarks, start treating oil and gas the way we've treated big tobacco companies. He made the comparison between, you know, oil and gas, saying that, you know, oil and gas is good for the Canadian economy, to, you know, what, what is it, Bensman and Hedges, Rothman and Benson, Rothman Hedges, whatever, you know, one of the tobacco companies is saying uh, that, oh, you know, tobacco smoking is good for your health. So he, he's trying to use that precedent to say that the the crisis caused by fossil fuels outweigh their right to free speech but it's kind of amusing because i'm just imagining like i don't know in ontario if we have them but i'm sure in alberta there are these you know oil and gas weekly word or whatever and i'm just imagining like going into the variety store and you know like with your head down and being like hi i need the magazines in the back room if you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the guy says like what what are you looking for playboy or oil and gas weekly and it's you know it's oil and gas weekly it's in the plastic cover and or like the cigarettes where you know you have to get them to open the case and you know quickly close it and uh, it, but it's insane because they're trying to stigmatize a sector that is the lifeblood of the canadian economy
2: and and it has been and every every industry is connected so even like you know fancy bankers and and marketing executives in in cities like vancouver and toronto that think they're above and removed from oil and gas it's like no, no, it's, it's all like like oil and gas is still the Canadian economy, yes, we're diversifying, but, but resources have always been Canada's core economic engine. And just, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Harrison, what's your take on this?
1: Well, this is insane. I can only, I, I'm thinking about what was going on in Alberta when their power grid basically shut down. And, you know, no one is allowed to go on social media and say that, oh, I really wish we had natural gas to, uh, to stay warm in the coldest day of the winter. Otherwise, they might get fined for saying something like that. They they might get fined for noticing that actually, you know, the wind and the and the solar isn't keeping them warm in like minus forty weather. Uh, it's just absurd. It's very NDP, though, right? This is not. I, I wish I was surprised when I read this story yesterday, but it was more. It was more just like, oh, Charlie Angus is speaking. Oh, of course, of course, he's putting this this bill forward. I, I would have been a little less surprised had it come from Elizabeth May, but NDP. That's pretty close these days.
2: You're right and just like the core of their of their thinking is that they hate free speech they want to ban yeah. it they they say that what they what the, the, this is this kind of takes me to the whole like post truth argument that we don't agree on the facts anymore so what charlie angus is saying is that he is the arbiter of what is true and if you disagree with him it is disinformation to the point where you should go to jail which you, you know this is this is authoritarian this is authoritarianism it's not It's we're not talking about like a democratic parameter here. You're, you're talking about demonizing speech that you personally disagree with it. It's, it's insane. It's yeah, but, but I think again. we can
0: just, uh, if this is the rule and this is what we're now allowed to do, I think some conservative needs to introduce a private member's bill saying uh, it is illegal to promote the virtues of socialism in Canada. Uh, socialism has killed millions of people. Uh, it's very harmful. It's harmful to the economy. It's harmful to people's lives. Uh, so anyone who does that is endangering people. So you can't promote the virtues of socialism. The good news is the NDP will save money on its ad budget when they're not allowed to run any. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're not—they're not allowed to speak anymore because I paid yeah. be too much. Yeah, yeah. sorry, Charlie. It's
0: like the hook. Elite. It'll be like when Elizabeth May got pulled off stage by by Lisa Raid. We'll just have to pull Charlie Angus off stage, uh, like he's gone on too long at the Oscars. Like uh, Marlon Brando's uh, substitute. There's a dated reference, but yeah, we'll have to. It, it'll just be great. It'll uh, sanitize political discourse in this country.
2: No, that would be some top-level trolling if the conservatives were to actually do that. I would. Yeah. I would. I would <laughs> applaud that just for trolling, not because I would actually want that. Uh, to be the case. But speaking of socialism, let's try that transition. Great great segue, I love that. (laughs) Speaking (laughs) of socialism, everything in Ottawa, speaking of socialism. for, for, For the last few years, the NDP have been on this sort of crusade against grocery stores in Canada and sort of blaming the companies for the sort of consequences of justin trudeau's pandemic policies so the idea that they printed a lot of money they gave away a lot of money during the pandemic that led to inflation there was a whole bunch of supply chain issues when things were started to get back up again because the government shut down the economy and then it took a while for the economy to get caught up that 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 whole time rather than looking at the economic picture uh, the 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 left uh, the ndp and some liberals just just accuse the companies. It was all the company's fault. It was law. Blah. It was greed. It was big grocers that, that are causing high food prices in Canada. It's not, it's not the government's fault. There's inflation. It's it's law's fault. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was all corporate greed and profiteering. It just, it just seems like the, the Ottawa bubble just sort of really hates law. Blah. So it became a big scandal this week when Justin Trudeau alerted the country that Pierre Polyev's advisor, Jenny Byrne, is actually lobbying for for blah, So let's let's play this clip of Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, again, pointing the finger and basically saying that it's all the Conservatives' fault now uh, that your food prices are too high.
0: Pierre Polyev has been standing up for months now, pretending that he cares about high grocery prices faced by Canadians. And it turns out that his top advisor is working as a lobbyist for Loblaws. I think Mr. Polyev owes some explanations to Canadians.
2: Okay, so Mr. Drama, Mr. Drama Queen, there giving his uh, you know, explanation and his super serious voice that it's all, of, it's all the Conservatives' fault uh, that prices are too high. Well, oops, uh, Pierre Polyev came back at Justin Trudeau in question period with his own response. So let's play that clip.
1: getting desperate if he has to blame Conservative campaign workers for the fact that he raised food prices, yeah. especially when, Mr. <laughs> Speaker, the Prime Minister's new marketing director, Max Veliket, did marketing for Loblaws for four Whoa. years. Whoa.
0: Don Guy,
1: Don Whoa. Guy, the Prime Minister's chief pollster, works for GT & Co., which collects checks from Loblaws. Whoa. As does Dan Arnold, his other pollster getting checks from Loblaws are they the ones that forced him to quadruple the carbon tax on our family?
2: gotta love the drama the fake drama question period like oh my goodness can you believe it fellas they're all lobbying for Loblaws everybody's like the lobbying.
0: Scooby-Doo mask moment of like <laughs> look behind this Galen Weston mask it's the liberal pollster
2: <laughs> yes yeah, so, so, so it turns out that a lot of political staffers or side have side hustles as lobbyists a lot of these guys work for companies and they also work for political parties and so 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 just to go back to Justin Trudeau's like huge dramatic moment about how it was all Pierre Polyev's consultant's fault that uh food prices are too high uh yeah that that didn't that didn't land very well and then Andrew came in with his own scoop which was that even the NDP even the socialists who have long been calling uh corporate greed the c- culprit uh well Andrew I'll let you explain your own scoop
0: yeah so don Dawn- Guy, who who have mentioned, co-owns this uh, GTing company with Brian Topp, who's a long-time NDP advisor and chief of staff and whatnot, and Brian Topp and, and Don Guy in business together. Their business lobbies Loblaws as recently <laughs> as last year. They had active uh, an active lobbyist there. So uh, it's kind of rich here that you have these uh, folks saying, oh, well, anyone who works for Loblaws is, is the problem. And I should just say, Jenny Byrne, who Justin Trudeau was talking about at criticism of of poly f doesn't actually lobby for lobla she owns the firm who has lobbied and does lobby for loblaws provincially in ontario so it's the exact same as right here where the owner of the company is the the liberal and ndp advisor and then that company is getting contracts so completely analogous apples to apples comparison but of course the criticism only works when it's directed towards the right
2: I I mean, I I guess there's two things. One, it just shows you the inside world of Ottawa and how basically insincere it all is, because they'll sit there in the political posture. But then when you look at, you know, you mentioned uh, Galen Weston, Andrew, who's the owner, very, very wealthy, self-made Canadian. Uh, he, you know, he donates to the liberals. He also donates to the conservatives. Like this, you can you can play this game all day long. Like this, you mm-hmm. know, there, there's there is there is a lot of political connections and a lot of cor- uh, crony capitalism and corporatism uh, when it comes to these big Canadian corporations and government. Uh, so so it's just a silly game to go down, a silly hole to go down. Harrison, what's your take?
1: Yeah, I think all Canadians will will take from this is the fact that basically everyone in Ottawa. Mm-hmm when they're not a staffer, they're lobbying for a company. And then when they're not lobbying for a company, they're creating good little political one-liners to rail against the company that they were lobbying for. And let's be honest about something as well. The people in the House of Commons sitting behind Justin Trudeau and sitting behind Pierre Polyev making all those ridiculously dramatic faces and weird noises, they also, many of them, were lobbyists before entering politics as well. So it's just the world of Ottawa. No Canadian should be surprised. And again, it's one of those weird cheap political attacks where the people who came up with this didn't have the foresight to realize that they were going to just have this rebounded back on them.
2: Well, it is kind of interesting because I, I mean, it's there's an interesting broader debate about like why things are so expensive in Canada. And you can look at like how our banking industry, our airline industry, our telecoms industry, they're they're all heavily regulated. And, and there's a lot of rules about who can participate in these markets. And because of it, Canadians do pay much higher rates on, on a lot of things uh, than Americans. Everyone knows it's way cheaper to fly in the U.S. than it is to fly across Canada. Like you can you get a flight from like. LA to New York for like 70 bucks. Right. And, and if you're flying from Vancouver to Toronto, it's like $800. Like it's, it's just like a totally different mark cause they have so much more competition. And I think that there is something about how the Canadian government regulates these industries that causes the, you know, the, this kind of like price, it feels like price gouging, but it's really just a lack of competition. And But, but then at the same time, when it comes to this issue of grocery stores, it's like, it's like, well, We try, sometimes they do bring in competition. It'll be like an American chain that tries to open. We saw it with Target. I know Target is more like a big box store, but they tried to come into the Canadian market and they just couldn't make it work. It was just too expensive because of our prices, because of everything else. And it was interesting, there was a committee meeting yesterday uh, or earlier this week, Wednesday, and they basically, they brought an expert to talk about why food pricing was so high. And he basically said it's because of the carbon tax. It's it's because of the taxes on truckers and the taxes on, you know, it, it, it's all passed through uh, back to the consumer. And so th- there are different problems in, in the Canadian sort of pricing system. But this whole theatrics of like, let's just blame the companies and then blame the lobbyists. And then it turns out we're all lobbying, like, it just misses a point. It just shows like how Ottawa just, Sometimes it's such a bubble. It looks bad on all parties, but they don't talk about the real issue. They kind of bypass it and play these political games. Andrew, what's your take?
0: Yeah, I I think you're right about that. And I, I think it's also very difficult anytime someone, even with the carbon tax, tries to put a single cause on this because there there are layered and overlapping phenomena. You have the carbon tax, you have inflation, you have regulation, you have labor costs. I mean, that was one of the big things for Target, why Target had such a difficult time in Canada compared to the US because the labor uh, and supply chains were, were just not what they were used to. So Canadians that live near the border that had been to American Targets were going to Canadian Target and being like, oh, this is Like, this isn't what I thought Target was. So uh, the company decided to pull out. So I I think with Loblaws, the Liberal government has wanted to take away any of these factors that it has responsibility for. And I would include in that definitely the carbon tax to a large extent inflation. And it's a lot easy to look at the rich uh, guys that run the companies and say they're the problem when that is a gross oversimplification and i would say if you were to list the top 10 reasons that uh, grocery prices are high and unaffordable for many canadians ceo salaries i don't even think is going to be on that list
2: yeah that's right it's an easy it's an easy scapegoat and and again i think when it comes to it, the, the cost of living it's not just in the food it's not just in the grocery stores that we see this issue it's it's across the board and so harrison you had a, a great report uh, looking at the housing crisis and the rise of these slum lords in Toronto, I couldn't believe some of these pictures yeah. uh, that you were showing, man. So uh, why don't you why don't you walk us through the story?
1: Yeah. So over the weekend, I was on uh, I was on X and Reddit. I don't usually go on Reddit, but I was on there because I followed this subreddit called Canada Housing Two, and I started to see these unbelievable rent listings, these slum lord listings pop up, pointing out just how unbelievable the state of the rental market is in this country, particularly in Toronto and the GTA. And I want to just highlight for you some of the listings that are available or that were available. They might have already been taken by people who are just desperate to put, put a roof over their head and to do so without having to spend thousands of dollars. But th- this is this is utterly insane. So we, we first saw this listing. This is for $500 a month, okay? And this is in Scarborough, we believe. Take a look at this, guys. This is what you can get for $500 a month. That is smaller than a jail cell, I've been told in the comments of the video at least you get like a nice lamp and a bedside table and you get some fresh air, but you don't have finished walls. This is like in the back corner of some basement. It's just terrible. Um, and this is what's available for 500 dollars. Put, put, put
0: that up. Put that up again, Jacob.
1: Is that blood on the comforter? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, I think that's just the artistic design. Okay. Uh, of the artistic
0: of the, blood splatters. All right. Yeah, yeah, a new exactly. phenomenon, uh, you know, Concrete Andrew, brick basement it kind of, apartments.
1: It kind of fits with the with the jail with the jailhouse uh, <laughs> style. I think if that if that really were what it what it is. But hold on, it just it just gets even worse here. So let's put up this next listing that we have because it, this is just this is just ridiculous. I think this next one is for four hundred dollars. It's in downtown. I, I said it was downtown Toronto. It's not really downtown Toronto, but again, compared to Scarborough and Brampton, this is right in the heart of the city for four hundred dollars. You can live in the hallway on a mattress on the floor of a really dirty house. Let's just call it what it is. This is listed on the on Facebook Marketplace. It might still be available right now. This is where you you can you can rent this out to live on a mattress in a hallway. It's just ridiculous the state of uh, of the rental market here. I want to show you one more because it is just it's just absurd. Now this one is an exclusive listing, as I noted. It's exclusively for females who are renting this place out and you have to share this bed and single room with a boy and on top of the $300 and sharing of the bed and the room with the boy, you have to do the cooking for the the landlord here. I'm not joking. This made its way to blog TO. So Ah, uh, you can take their word for it. Um, it's also been listed on the Slum Lords of Canada Reddit page. And I just want to read the description of this listing for you. so you get an idea of, of who you know who the tenant is or who the landlord might be. Room available for girl in sharing with boy. Good behavior. Girl must know cooking. rest of the work boy will do. Washroom is in sharing and kitchen also. So three hundred dollars for uh, for exclusively for a, a woman to rent out this apartment. I have one more for you that I just found. This is in Brampton. A house in Brampton has apparently been, multiple rooms in this house have been rented out. People are now living inside of a car in the driveway of this Brampton house and urinating on the side of the house. So this is the state of what of what we're working with here in Canada. The, the, the slumlords have taken over and living conditions have plummeted all because of insane levels of, of immigration to this country and of course inflation that has made basically everything way too expensive it's just terrible
0: i didn't know you had to pay to be a live-in chef now that was uh <laughs> yes I, I thought it was like yes. i because i always imagine you know when i you know strike it big i pay to have the live-in chef i didn't know i could get paid to have someone come into my home and, and cook for me every day that sounds like actually a pretty
1: sweet deal well, I wonder who ends up not—not for pay the person the living food. here. No, if the chef has to pay for the food, then it's not you really, know, it's more than three hundred dollars yeah. a month, and you're really, you're really, uh, you really got a bad deal.
2: I mean, this is sad. It's it's unbelievable it's what people are are willing to do and and to live in. And look, I mean, I think when you're young, you're willing to you know, live in pretty rough living conditions. I know a lot of guys that go up to camps and, and they live in pretty brutal conditions for a couple of weeks so that they can make some money and come back in. But, but that's not even what this is, right? This is like they, they've allowed so many international students to come into the country. A lot of them don't have any option for housing. That's so what they do. It's like, oh, let's just get like 20 guys to live in a basement. I mean, I, I can't imagine that first one you showed it looked like a jailhouse. I, I can't imagine what the rest of the basement looks like. like yeah. Is it just like, is it just like a dorm room or like a, like a hostel full of beds on the floor and an unfinished basement? Like that's, that's, that's pretty rough. And I, I I'm usually not very kind. I, I, there's this trend that I really don't like, uh, which is like, bunch of you know younger people complaining that they can't buy a house and blaming it on the prime minister it's like you know what uh yeah it's tough and you got to save up and you got to make sacrifices but let's not just sit here and like blame our prime minister if you personally are like in your 30s and you can't afford uh to buy a house like you, you got to own some of that some of that is personal responsibility like you, you need to save up you need to make good decisions like live with roommates and and save your paychecks until you can afford something and and, and I get the fact that down payments are like Super crazy now. It's like, well, did, don't buy a house in Toronto. Like, go move somewhere else. Go live in a different part of the country. Go live in Saskatchewan. It's still relatively cheaper. Go live in Edmonton. You can you can still you know afford to buy something a little bit better there or or other parts of the country. But but then when when you when you see the situation, you just think about the people who are forced into that situation and that that's the only option they have. It's like this is a problem. Yeah. And uh, I, I do think a lot of it is immigration related. Andrew, what's your take?
0: I think a lot of it is immigration related. I, I think there is something to, I, 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 I don't know if I, I think some people who are in their thirties that um, got a later start in career in life, I, I'm I'm very sympathetic to them not being able to do it because for a lot of people to have a, a single family home, if they are single and, and have a single income, it is incredibly difficult. I will say though, I, I thought there was a lot of truth to the point that people are a lot too picky, a lot more picky than they should be on location. I think a lot of people like I've heard stories and I've known people that have made the decision to move you know, hours and hours outside of the cities because they can get a start there. And in the remote work economy for a lot of people, not for not for everyone, um, you can do it. So I think I think if you're stuck on this fantasy of living in Toronto or Vancouver just because you want to be and not for any professional or significant reason, I think you should probably try to shake that because that's the only way you'll be able to do it now.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Like, I I, I can kind of relate to it too. Like, look, I grew up in Vancouver in a neighborhood where I think the average single family home is now like three million dollars, and it was not like that when I was growing up. Like, it was it was it was a fine middle class neighborhood, but it wasn't to the extent it was. But even you know, by the time I graduated high school and left university, which we're now talking about, you know, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there was no way, there was no chance that I would be able to buy a place in that neighborhood. And it's kind of sad because Vancouver has gone through this like a long time ago, you know, Mm -hmm. 15, 20, 25 years ago. And, 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 and I always thought Vancouver was like an anomaly. And then it's like, it's almost like that phenomenon that happened in Vancouver Uh, Caught up to the rest of the country, and it's now happening in like so many other cities. And so it does show, I think, that something's fundamentally wrong. And I think in Vancouver, it was very clearly driven by immigration, by wealthy. Foreign buyers, Chinese buyers coming in, and just liking that neighborhood and buying out all the houses and kind of like displacing the uh, people who had lived there prior. So there's definitely structural issues. When 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 I say I'm annoyed by this whole trend because I just I, I just think it's like a simplistic attitude for conservatives to say like I can't afford a house and it's the government's fault. It's like it's like, come on, take some, take some responsibility, man. But I, I hear, I hear your point, Andrew uh, Harrison. Any, any final thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the questions that I asked at the beginning of my show on this topic was, the people who were in, responsible for bringing in all of these people into our country and flooding the country and these, and these pockets of our population where houses are now unaffordable, knew full well what was going to happen, what the consequences were going to be. These are not dumb people. They knew it was going to happen. So it makes you wonder. If it, it wasn't obviously done for Canadians, even though the, the government's responsibility is to make sure that Canadians are taken care of first and that they can hopefully live in the cities they grew up in. So if it wasn't done for Canadians, who was it done for? Um, and I think that that is a question that needs to be asked. It looks like it was done for corporations who could benefit on a, on a massive amount of, of cheap available labor and also for these colleges to benefit from insane amounts of, of students paying three to four times the tuition fees. I think there is something to be said about you know, people having to be realistic and people having to be less picky about location. But the reality is, I don't think it's fair to say to Canadians who are now looking at this country and realizing that the life that they were expecting when they were very young, that's totally out of reach, is their fault. And it's not the fault of people who made these decisions in the first place. Um, I think there's yeah. a lot, of, a lot of, of frustration and anger that is, is coming from this situation that the government is not paying attention to. I think the opposition doesn't want to accept the kind of anger that's actually coming from young people in this country, but it is there and it's growing. And this is exactly why.
2: Well, uh, Harrison, you pointed this out because uh, Pierre Paglia put out a really informative, great video about the housing problem in Canada. I think he made a lot of really, really strong points yeah. in that video, but there was one sort of like elephant in the room that he just refused to acknowledge, which is immigration. I don't think he mentioned it once. And you, you made a point on your show of going through the comment section, like people notice people know that there is this problem when it comes to mass mass immigration canada has the highest immigration levels uh i I think in the world definitely in the g in the g7 and that is having an impact and you got to talk about it you have to find a way to talk about it because it's an issue uh that's important andrew i'll give the last word to you
0: no i don't really have one i mean i i asked uh, pierre polyev when i did my year-end interview with him about that and and he did admit yes immigration it's just raw numbers has an effect but still wouldn't go to the point of giving that number of, of how many is enough of what the system can sustain so uh, where he left it was saying that yes we'll tie immigration to housing so if you read between the lines he is saying yes i mean theoretically we could reduce that number but he, he still for reasons we've all talked about on our respective shows doesn't want to come out and say that in black and white terms
2: Okay, I, I said last word to you, but I just want to make one point of that, because it made me think of your interview. And one of the things that I didn't like about what Polyev did was that it was a purely economic math-based equation. Like To him, it was just about mm-hmm. the math and nothing else and it's like at some point you have to recognize that there is a deeper cultural uh, issue here that that, that that many canadians are concerned with like whether people are being integrated whether it's a good idea for our communities whether this is having a good effect on things like cost of living how it's influencing people in your generation harrison and people just coming out of school and people just trying to like like there are more broad uh questions that need to be answered and i i I mean, maybe maybe libertarians like these kind of answers, but when he just said it was like purely numbers, it was just 100 percent on math and nothing else. That th- my heart sank a little bit. I, I, I was I, wasn't,
0: I Liber- wasn't. for the last time, Candace, libertarians can care about values too. <laughs> <laughs> every every time you're just like staring daggers into my soul when you crap on libertarians.
2: <laughs> you know, I was—I I consider myself libertarian for a long time, and—and—and and, and, and when it comes to government spending, a lot of things are libertarian still. But I, I do think these deeper values questions matter, Andrew. They matter. All right. Yeah, right, all right. I think we'll cut it off there. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. And just a reminder: remember that the show is called Off the Record, so everything you just heard was off the
0: record. Oh, we didn't talk about the uh, the guy that wanted me to do more rap dancing. So we'll have to, we'll have oh, to bring sorry. back the dance moves in the and next show. I was going to say,
1: Andrew, you ditched the wine for, what, is that a coffee?
0: Yeah, I I, I was running behind this morning. So I just, I should have put some Baileys in it just to keep on brand. <laughs> uh, yeah, <but>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, well,
2: I was like, you know, let's keep it to 45 minutes. And and so I totally forgot about the comments. Well, I promise we'll do comments next week. That's
0: okay. That's okay. They They don't know. Well, unless this is in the banter reel, then they'll know. But other than that, they didn't know. <laughs>
2: Okay, right on. Yeah, I think we should keep it in the banter wheel.